Hey guys, you're listening to Brief. This is episode two of Anthem by Ayn Rand. We will be covering the rest of the chapters. They're all super short from here on out and also themes. So chapter three, equality discovers a new form of nature on his own. According to the council scholars, everything is already known. Equality calls the scholars blind, saying the secrets of the earth are not for all men to see, but only for those who will seek them. The new form of nature equality discovered is electricity. He discovered it by accident when he was dissecting a frog. The frog was hanging on a copper wire and the metal knife he was using caused electricity to surge through the frog and it made its leg move. He recreated it in a bottle of salt water and began to test it more and more. He discovered that this electricity causes the needle of his compass to move. He set up a metal rod outside the hole and watched lightning strike it more than once. And now we know that metal draws the power of the sky and that metal can be made to give it forth. He traveled as far as he could into the tunnel, but is stopped by a wall of rocks. He finds a lot of things in the tunnel, including cords and wires that led to strange little globes of glass on the walls. Um, He realizes that people from the unmentionable times must have known the power of the sky and used it, and the things he's found in the tunnel relate to it. Equality decides that he doesn't care anymore about his brothers, only his metal and his wires. Okay, chapter four. I told you these chapters were short. Equality meets the golden one again near the hedge. He tells her he has given her a name in his mind, the golden one. And she tells him that she's also given him a name in her mind, the unconquered. He is speechless for a while. And then he tells her on page 56. So Equality says, such thoughts as these are forbidden, golden one. And she says, but you think such thoughts as these and you wish us to think them. Equality looked into her eyes and he says he could not lie. Yes, we whispered. And they smiled and then said, our dearest one, do not obey us. They stepped back and their eyes were wide and still. Speak these words again, she whispered. Which words, we asked. But they did not answer and we knew it. Our dearest one, we whispered. Never have men said this to women. The head of the golden one bowed slowly, and they stood still before us, their arms at their sides, and their palms of their hands turned to us as if their body were delivering in submission to our eyes, and we could not speak. It's just so sweet, you guys. They're just in love, but they're trying to figure it out. They don't even know how to describe or express their love because that's just not a thing that you do in this world. The golden one then asks if equality wants water. She gathers some in her hands and brings it to him to drink. He put his lips to her hands and drinks the water. And when the water is gone, his lips stay on her hands. He steps back suddenly and is confused. He says, we do not understand what made us do this. And we were understa- we were afraid to understand it. Okay, chapter five. Equality, or the unconquered, creates light with electricity. Of course, he doesn't have a name for this. Um, But he took one of the strange little globes of glass and experimented with it for days until it gave forth the power of the sky, what he calls the power of the sky. He's blown away by the light and the fact that it seemingly came from nowhere. He thinks about how he can give the world new light without fire. He decides that he can't keep this secret and he must tell the scholars so that he can become one of them and help discover all the secrets of the world. A month from now, the World Council of Scholars will meet in his city and he is going to take the light and present it to them and confess his transgressions because he thinks that they'll forgive him when they see his discovery because he says, 
our gift is greater than our transgression, which is just like a huge mistake on your part, equality. Like, you should know better. They're not going to let you go with this one. So he vows to protect his tunnel and his light until the World Council of Scholars a month from now. He fears that if someone besides a scholar finds out about his tunnel and his light, they will not understand. He feels like the light is part of him and realizes that for the first time in his life, he cares about his body. He cares whether he lives or dies. He wonders what he looks like because men never see their own faces, for it's evil to have concern for their own faces or bodies. Chapter 6 Equality, the unconquered, has been caught. He was caught the same night as his last entry about wanting to see his face, which is not a surprise. It's been a month since then. He lost track of time. Uh, He didn't make it back in time to fall in line with the others and make it home unnoticed. So the council questions him when he gets home to the home of the street sweepers, and he says he'll not tell them where he's been. Equality is taken to the Palace of Corrective Detention and is lashed repeatedly as they try to find out where he's been. He tries to count how many times he's whipped, but he loses count and eventually stops feeling the pain. The man whipping him starts punching him in the face and asks again where he's been. He doesn't answer. They keep asking him after every blow, but he won't answer. The only thing he says is, the light, the light, the light, and then he passes out. He spends many days lying on his stomach in the jail cell. Once a day, someone brings him food and water, and once a day, the judges come to his cell in their white togas and ask him if he's ready to talk. He counts the days until it's been 30 days, and then he decides to escape because he needs to be at the World Council of Scholars. And it wasn't difficult to escape because the locks are old and there's no guards because men don't ever defy their leaders by escaping, so why would they need guards? He makes it back to his tunnel and finds that no one's disturbed it, and he's happy to see that the light is still there and exclaims, what matter they now, the scars on our back. He writes in his journal all of this and says that tomorrow he will go to the World Council of Scholars and present the light, and they will forgive him and let him join the scholars. He says, we shall join our hands to theirs, and we shall work together with the power of the sky for the glory of mankind. Our blessing upon you, our brothers, tomorrow you will take us back into your fold and we shall be an outcast no longer tomorrow we shall be one of you again so chapter seven opens and equality says it is dark here in the forest he's in the forest guys he seems to have given up hope uh because he says he'll sleep on the forest floor waiting for the beast to kill him because he has no future That morning, he tells us that he walked to the World Council and sees the scholars sitting at the table underneath a painting of the 20 illustrious men who invented the candle because it took 20 men to invent a candle. They were surprised when they saw him because he was wearing torn, bloodied clothing. Equality greets them and it is revealed that he's a street sweeper and the scholars are in an absolute uproar because this place is only meant for scholars. Um, He stops them and explains that he has brought them a gift that has never been brought before. Listen to us, for we hold the future of mankind in our hands. He places the light on the table and tells them the story of the tunnel and how he discovered the light, how he was arrested and lashed. When he finishes his story, he connects the wires and the light shines. He is surprised by the council's reaction because they jump up and run from the light as if they are scared of it. Equality says the power is tamed and not to be afraid of it. He calls it the power of the sky and tells them that together they can make the world better for their brothers. One of the council finally speaks. 
His name is Collective 0-0009. I don't know if that means he's like the ninth person to ever exist, but anyway, he calls equality a wretch who has broken every law. How dared you think that your mind held greater wisdom than the minds of your brothers? How dared you think that you could be greater, be a greater use to men than in sweeping the streets? All of the council members begin to speak now and tell him he will be burned at the stake for thinking of only himself. This crime has never been committed, so they can't decide how to punish him. They decide they can't judge it, and he says, We shall deliver this creature to the world council itself and let their will be done. Equality tries to plead with them. He doesn't care about himself. He just wants the light to be saved and used for all. Collective 0-0009 asks him, So you think that you have found a new power? Do all your brothers think that? Equality says no. And Collective responds, What is not thought by all men cannot be true. Another council asks if he worked on it alone. What is not done collectively cannot be good. They say he must abandon his work, as all men have, when the majority of scholars vote against it. They don't like the light because it would bring ruin to the Department of Candles. This would apparently wreck the plans of the World Council because it took them 50 years to secure approval of all the councils for the candle. And the plans cannot be altered again so soon. Hello? Collective says the light must be destroyed. Equality quickly grabs the light and runs to the window yelling at them. You fools. As he escapes. He runs until he gets to the uncharted forest and that's where he lays now with his box of light. He's not afraid of men following him because they would not follow him into the uncharted forest. Uh, he walks deeper into the forest not caring that he is doomed to die by the beasts within. Whatever days are left to us, we shall spend them alone. And we have heard of the corruption to be found in solitude. We have torn ourselves from the truth, which is our brother men, and there is no road back for us. There is not a thing behind us to regret. And then he remembers the golden one, and pain strikes him. But he decides it's best if she forgets him, because he is now damned. Chapter 8 Equality describes his first day in the forest. Every morning of his life, an alarm goes off and he has to get up right away. Today, he just decided to lie back and look at the sky. He makes use of his body for the first time, running and rolling around and climbing trees. For no reason, he begins laughing and feels an immense amount of joy. He walks farther into the forest, and when he gets hungry, he shoots down a bird with a rock, cooks it over a fire, and eats it. He finds pride in eating something that he caught and killed himself. He finds a stream and goes down and goes to drink, but before he does, he sees himself in the reflection of the water. He sees himself for the first time in his life. He says, Our face was not like the faces of our brothers, for we felt no pity when looking upon it, and we thought that we could trust this being who looked upon us from the stream, and that we had nothing to fear with this being. The sun set on the forest, and equality found a place to sleep. As he lay down, he remembered for the first time that day that he was damned, and he laughed. He brought his journal with him into the forest and plans to write down all that happens to him. Okay, chapter 9. Equality begins this chapter by saying that he hasn't written for many days. We did not wish to speak, for we needed no words to remember that which has happened to us. On his second day in the forest, the golden one found him. She came into the forest to find him, and she followed his footsteps. She said, we have followed you and we shall follow you wherever you go. If danger threatens you, we shall face it also. If it be death, we shall die with you. You are damned and we wish to share your damnation. Your eyes are as a flame, but your brothers have neither hope nor fire. 
We wish to be damned with you rather than blessed with all our brothers. Do as you please with us, but do not send us away from you. The golden one knelt before him, and he picked her up without knowing how or why, and he kissed her. We stood together for a long time, and we were frightened that we had lived for 21 years and had never known what joy is possible to men. Equality tells her there's nothing to fear in the forest and that they don't need their brothers. It tells her to forget everything except that they are together, and that is joyful. Okay, they walk into the forest together and find a place to sleep that night. So remember how he was terrified of the palace of mating and how he thought it was an ugly act? Well, tonight he realizes that it's not horrifying at all when it's with someone that you love. He says, And that night we knew that to hold the body of a woman in our arms is neither ugly nor shameful, but the one ecstasy granted to the race of men. Together in the forest they thrive, killing more birds than they can eat. At night, they set up a ring of fire around them so the beasts won't attack them. They plan to build a house when they have gone far enough into the forest, but they're not in any rush. He says, we go on and we bless the earth under our feet. But questions come to us again as we walk in silence. If that which we have found is the corruption of solitude, then what can man wish for save corruption? If that is the great evil of being alone, then what is good and what is evil? Everything that comes from the many is good. Everything that comes from the one is evil. Thus we have been taught with our first breath. So he's struggling with this realization that everything he's ever been taught is untrue. He's found joy in the light he created and in the forest and with the golden one. And he had never known joy before. Today, the golden one told him that she loved him. She says, we love you. But then she shook her head in frustration because that wasn't what she wanted to say. She spoke very slowly, like a child learning to speak for the first time. We are one, alone, and only. And we love you who are one, alone, and only. They struggled to find the word they needed to express their love. And he says, we felt torn, torn for some word we could not find. Chapter 10. They found a home. They crossed the mountains to get where they are now, and they came upon an abandoned house. It's a two-story white house, and the walls are mostly windows. This perplexes them because they can't understand how the glass supports the house. They're shocked by what they find in the house, and they'll need years to understand it all. The rooms were small, and they figured out that only about 12 men could have lived together, and they thought it was strange that men had been permitted to build a house for only 12. They found large mirrors in the house that they described as great pieces of glass, and they can see their bodies in these pieces of glass, and they can't figure out what their use might have been. Uh, they find a room that they call the sleeping hall because it has beds in it, but it only has two beds in it. The whole house only has two beds, and they realize that only two people lived here. They look in the closets and found clothes that were not white tunics or togas, they were all different colors, which is interesting because we never knew before this that they're literally wearing togas. Anyway, so they find clothes that are all different colors. They find a room full of manuscripts, as they call them, their books. It's a library uh, because he says the, the books cover the walls from floor to ceiling. The manuscripts from where they came from are like scrolls, like ancient scrolls. They roll them up, um, but these are hard and a strange shape. Uh, their books. The letters on the pages were small and so even that equality 
wonders how men had such amazing handwriting because obviously they are typed printed books, but he doesn't understand that. Uh, the words are in their same language, but there are many words that they don't understand. Together they decide that this house will be their home and they will never leave it, and they shall not share their joy with others. Equality gathered food for the house and water, the golden one, and stood in front of the mirror, and nothing could take her away from it. She just stared at herself, and she fell asleep on the floor in front of it, and Equality carried her to bed. He couldn't sleep, so he stayed up reading. He speaks to the unknown and searches for the meaning of all things. He wants to know he wants all the knowledge to come to him as he reads and learns. He knows there is a secret that his heart understands, but he does not, and he believes his heart is trying to tell him. Chapter 11 opens with this sentence. I am. I think I will. My hands, my spirit, my sky, my forest, this earth of mine. Equality is discovered, you guys. The word I, the unspeakable word, he says, this, my body and spirit, this is the end of the quest. I wish to know the meaning of things. I am the meaning. I wish to find warrant for being. I need no warrant for being and no word for sanction upon my being. I am the warrant and the sanction. So during his reading, he's learned tons of words. Um, he says, some are wise and some are false, but only three are holy. He says the holy words are, I will it. I will it. He speaks of the universe and how he doesn't know if the earth is the core of the universe or just a speck in it, but all he cares about is his own pursuit of happiness. Um, so on page 95, I'm going to read a little bit because this is when he discovers his own individualism. He says, I know what happiness is possible to me on earth and my happiness needs no higher aim to vindicate it. My happiness is not the means to, an en to any end. It is the end. It is its own goal. It is its own purpose. Neither am I the means to any end others may wish to accomplish. I am not a tool for their use. I am not a servant of their needs. I am not a bandage for their wounds. I am not a sacrifice on their altars. I am a man. This miracle of me is mine to own and keep and mine to guard and mine to use and mine to kneel before. I do not surrender my treasures, nor do I share them. The fortune of my spirit is not to be blown into coins of brass and flung to the winds as alms for the poor of the spirit. I guard my treasures, my thought, my will, my freedom, and the greatest of these is freedom. <clears throat> so the greatest gift he finds is freedom. Equality realizes that he owes nothing to his brothers. He knows that he can choose the men he wants to be his friends and he will love and respect them, but he doesn't have to love everyone. He declares that the word we will never be spoken as a first option, and he calls it the root of all evil. He says it's the word by which the depraved steal the virtue of the good, by which the weak steal the might of the strong. What is my joy if all hands, even the unclear, can reach it? What is my wisdom if even the fools can dictate it? What is my freedom if all creatures, even the botched and the impotent, are my masters? What is my life if I am but to bow, to agree, and to obey? And he says, he will now praise the God that will bring him joy, the God of this one word, I. We're getting close, you guys. There's only, this is the last chapter. Wow, really? Yep, chapter 12, last chapter. This is equality talking. It was when I read the first of the books I found in my house that I saw the word I. And when I understood this word, the book fell from my hands and I wept. I, who had never known tears. 
I wept in deliverance and in pity for all mankind. I understood the blessed thing which I had called my curse. I understood the centuries of chains and lashes will not keep the spirit of man nor the sense of truth within him. Equality tells the golden one what he has learned from the books, and the first thing she says to him is, I love you. He responds to her saying that it is not right for men to be without names and that they should choose their names. For himself, he chooses Prometheus because he took the light of the gods and he brought it to men and he taught men to be gods and he suffered for his deed and as all bearers of light must suffer. So he relates to Prometheus and decides to take his name. And then for the golden one, he decides to give her the name of the goddess Gaia because she was the mother of the earth and of all the gods. He gives her this name because she is to be the mother of a new kind of gods. Prometheus speaks of the saint of the pyre, the man who was killed for saying the unspeakable word, who chose him as his heir. He plans to learn all the secrets of the earth from the books, and he says he's going to rebuild the achievements of the past and open the way to carry them further the achievements which are open to me but closed forever to my brothers, for their minds are shackled to the weakest and dullest ones among them. He does not think highly of his leaders. Um, I don't blame him. Uh, so he discovers that his power of the sky was known to men of the past as electricity. It was the power that moved their greatest inventions, and he plans to restore the electricity in his house. And once he does that, he's going to build an electric fence around his property so no one can enter it in case his brothers come looking for him. Prometheus declares, Here on this mountaintop, with the world below me and nothing above me but the sun, I shall live my own truth. Gaia gets pregnant, and they plan to teach their son the word I and teach him to be proud of it. But Prometheus has a bigger plan. Once he learns all he can, he plans to go back to the city and gather his friends. International 4-8818, the one who kept his secret, Fraternity 2-5503, who cries for no reason. Solidarity 9-6347, who cries for help at night and people like them. He says, I shall call to me all the men and women whose spirit has not been killed within them. On page 101, he says, these are the things before me. And as I stand here at the door of glory, I look behind me for the last time. I look upon the history of men, which I have learned from the books, and I wonder. It was a long story, and the spirit which moved it was the spirit of man's freedom. But what is freedom? Freedom from what? There is nothing to take a man's freedom away from him, save other men. To be free, a man must be free of his brothers. That is freedom, this and nothing else. Prometheus reflects on the world and the idea of freedom. Man was enslaved by the gods, but they broke free. Then they were enslaved by kings, birth, kin, race, all of these things, but they always broke free. Uh, but men fell into submission and worshiped the word we for this new world. And why, he says, why did we not break free from this as well? He thinks of the men who accepted this life, this worship of we, and how they could give up individualism so easily. He imagines that men before him had made his same discovery and brought it to the Council of the Scholars, and they probably met the same fate that he had. On page 103, he says, But I still wonder how it was possible. In those graceless years of transition long ago that men did not see whither they were going and went on in blindness and cowardice to their fate. I wonder, for it is hard for me to conceive how men who knew the word I could give it up and not know what they had lost. 
but such has been the story, for I lived in the city of the damned, and I know what horror men permitted to be brought upon them. Can you imagine if leaders came and were like, hey guys, we're going to take away the word I. We're going to take away individualism. But it's interesting in this book because that happened. A group of people got together and they were like, look, we need to take over the world. We're going to take away the idea of individualism altogether. And then we'll have complete control and power over these people. So he says, he says, maybe there were men in those days who refused to surrender the word I, but they couldn't stop it. Maybe they fought a hopeless battle and they chose to perish for they knew the agony that would befall them if they lost individualism. Prometheus wishes they could know that their battle was not in vain, that he'd broken through the collective we and rediscovered the glory of individualism. He says, for that which they died to save can never perish. Through all the darkness, through all the shame of which men are capable, the spirit of man will remain alive on this earth. It may sleep, but it will awaken. It may wear chains, but it will break through, and man will go on. Man, not men. We're almost to the end. He speaks of the world that he will create with his family and friends. He says it will be small at first, but it will break through, and word of it will reach every corner of the earth, and people whose minds are not lost to the collective will come and join them. He says, and the day will come when I shall break all the chains of the earth and raise the cities of the enslaved, and my home will become the capital of the world, where each man will be free to exist for his own sake. He and his people will fight for freedom and individualism. And I'm going to read just this last paragraph of the book on page 104 and 105. He says, And here over the portals of my fort I shall cut in the stone the word which is to be my beacon and my banner, the word which will not die should we all perish in battle, the word which can never die on this earth, for it is the heart of it and the meaning and the glory the sacred word, ego. So remember when I talked in the beginning about ego and how Ayn Rand's definition of ego is its exact and literal meaning. She doesn't mean the symbol of the self, but specifically man's self. So that's what Prometheus is getting at in the end. The sacred word is ego, meaning the sacred thing is man's self. Okay, so that's the end. We are going to now talk about themes really quick, and then we will be done with this book. I said before the themes are individualism and collectivism. Specifically, though, the importance of individualism, identity, and ego, and the destructive culture of collectivism. So, yeah, here we go. Individualism, which is the most critical theme of Anthem. In this future world, everyone and everything's alike. Um, They're not allowed to be alone. Like physically, they're not allowed to have thoughts that no one else is having. And this, I mean, the leaders here are trying to control the thoughts of their subjects, which is pretty impossible. But when you grow up in a world where you're never allowed to, or you're never even given like a thought to, like it's not even something that occurs to you, I guess it's not impossible. But again, we get Prometheus who defied all of that. So... In order for these, you know, leaders to make people not think about individualism at all, they all sleep in, you know, hallways where there's nothing but beds and everything is white 
and there's no creativity. Everything is uniform. Everyone goes about their days in silence. They have little to no interaction. In the introduction of the book, well, the one that I have, which is the 50th anniversary edition of Anthem, a man named, well, I can't say his name. His name is Leonard, I think it's Pykoff, tells us that a year before Ayn Rand wrote Anthem, she asked, he asked what her philosophy was, and she responded, to make my life a reason unto itself. I know what I want up to the age of 200. Know what you want in life and go after it. I worship individuals for their highest possibilities as individuals, and I loathe humanity for its failure to live up to these possibilities. So throughout Anthem, we know the narrator reminds us again and again that his life is only to be lived for his brothers. If a human doesn't provide any benefits to his brothers, there's no reason for them to live anymore. There's no, you know, individual desires. And that is, this is the point that Ayn Rand is trying to make, that your individual life and self and ego is a reason unto itself, that your self, that your ego is the most important thing. In the foreword that Rand wrote, she declares, the greatest guilt today is that of people who accept collectivism by moral default, the people who seek protection from the necessity of taking a stand by refusing to admit to themselves the nature of that which they are accepting, the people who support plans specifically designed to achieve serfdom, but hide behind the empty assertion that they are lovers of freedom. By refusing to admit to themselves the nature of that which they are accepting, the people who believe that the content of ideas need not be examined, that principles need not be defined, and that facts can be eliminated by keeping one's eyes shut. Okay, so, again, the importance of individualism and ego, and the other theme being the destructive culture of collectivism, which is basically the opposite. So, collectivism is the prioritization of group over the individual self. Rand displays throughout this novel how destructive collectivism is to the individual, and obviously it can benefit a group like the leaders of this. I mean, I don't know what benefit they were getting, but control of the situation, but obviously benefited them in some way. While it does benefit those people, it harms the individual so much more. So yeah, that's Ayn Rand's anthem. The end. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email hello at briefpodcast.com so that we know what books you need briefed.